0: Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomass. we're in episode 190, really glad you could join us today, we've got a, a good topic of topics here, so let's get started with some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Soraya Zell.
1: Hi, I am Soraya Zell, um, and, and that's really all there is to it.
0: That's all there ever is to it, Zell. Are you going to improve yourself as a gamer? Like, what, what are your dreams moving forward?
1: My dreams?
0: Yeah! Like with VR and how you're going to make awesome videos of you playing VR for the, the listeners.
1: Star Citizen actually being a thing is my dream. Uh, I don't know if it'll happen.
0: Well, those unreachable dreams are always the best ones. <laughs> All right, Bate, you're up, man.
2: Hey, what's up, Bate? Uh, wow. Hey, what's up, guys? My name is yeah. Bate. What have you been playing lately, Bate? Oh, God. Um, A lot of Eve, a lot of Battlefield uh, 1. Uh, Really joined the new Call of Duty as of late, though. Uh, that has been absolutely the most fun with Call of Duty, uh, with Call of Duty that I've had in a while, uh, to be honest.
0: How does that one compare to Battlefield One? I mean, another kind of obviously different wars, but kind of poking at the same, backtracking to to classics. Like, how do they compare?
2: Call of Duty, still Call of Duty. Uh, at, at the end of the day, <laughs> I don't think there's really anything that um, that kind of makes it stand out i don't guess uh as far as you know between battlefield one uh and and call of duty Battlefield's always going to be battlefield uh when you get down to it. call of duty is always going to be call of duty uh and and i think that that shows
0: fair enough all right uh, jay you're up
3: yeah uh my name is jay and i'm also one of the uh, hosts here on biomass uh random gamer and uh you know Lover of nerdisms, if you will. Uh, I'm trying to think what what I've been playing really recently. I've kind of been floating around on a couple of different things. Uh, play some routine Destiny too. We'll talk a little bit about that in terms of some some fairly significant discussions they've got coming up uh, in terms of a big post uh, post holiday blog that they put out. Uh, believe it or not, I've been really diving back into World of Tanks quite a bit uh, with a with a lot of old friends that have, that have played that. It's kind of a go to. I'm sort of in a lull waiting for some of the games that I'm really, really licking my chops about. Uh, you know, that's that's pretty much where I'm at right now. It's kind of going back to some of the tried and true uh, games that have been playing over the last couple, three years as I'm waiting for some of the the bigger titles from early 2018 to come out.
0: We actually talked about kind of our uh, the ones we're looking forward to uh, in one of the episodes. I think you weren't you weren't there for. So what games are you looking forward to in 2018?
3: Um, the, the two that stand out really uh, in mind would be uh, Red Dead redemption 2 and uh, you, you know mostly because I like that genre of games you don't see a lot of like kind of good western games particularly like open world style it's, it's they're very rare in, in terms of how many you get um, so'm I'm, I'm interested in that they usually did a pretty decent genre, uh, job of storytelling in it I'm not I'm not like super over the moon about it I'm just I'm just it's something unique. You know, there's not a lot of other versions of, of those kind of games out there. Uh, the one that I'm probably the most interested in is God of War. Uh, that one, from all of the coverage, and there's been a huge swath of press coverage over about the last week and a half, because I think that it sounds like they're ramping up for a, I, I think, a February or March release, but uh, they're definitely starting to pick up the coverage on it. Th- that thing looks like uh, it has the potential to be pretty incredible. Uh, and there's there's some really interesting uh, interviews coming out about it in terms of the storytelling aspect, not just the, uh, the hack and slash gameplay that you got from the original God of War. Uh, so, I, you know, that's probably the number one that I'm really, really, really looking forward to. And everything else, to be honest with you, uh, for 2018, there have been numerous, um, basically, Game soft reboots for a lot of different products out there that uh, were originally came out, didn't do too well. And then there's been basically gutting the insides of the game and then putting it back together again. And they're doing a lot better. You know, Ubisoft is is almost you know, famous slash infamous for it. But uh, what they're going to do, what they're doing with the division, what they're doing with Rainbow Siege, gives me a lot of hope for uh, For Honor, frankly. Uh so i'm, I'm kind of interested in that and then maybe even you know some games like destiny that are really struggling right now so i that you know the two one the two that i'm really looking forward to red dead redemption and uh and god of war but i think there's going to be uh probably some resuscitation efforts for some of the bigger marquee games that kind of fell short uh, star wars battlefront's probably another one of those two
0: well, sounds pretty good yeah there's a there's a bunch of ones coming out in 2018 that i'm, I'm pretty stoked for and it's funny you mentioned the division because I've been seeing a lot of videos pop up on YouTube right now. I, I think Skillup is the one that comes to mind, where he kind of did a uh, re-review of the game in twenty eighteen and, and yeah. spoke very highly of it.
3: Yeah, I, I caught part. Of, I caught that one. Skill Up does some pretty good videos, and he was uh, that was probably one of the most well put together, almost you know journalistic in nature kind of YouTube. Uh, content pieces out there for something like that. But uh, I've seen several other ones that basically they compared division at release, which is what I'm accustomed to, to division now. And it apparently is very much night and day. Uh, One of the things that I, and in all fairness, I really want to like that game. I really, really, really wanted to like that game. Um, Even with the changes, there was a brief moment in the skill up video, which, uh, which really encapsulates my struggles with it, which is the setting versus the style of game. And he basically, he, he does a really great comparison of like Diablo looters to, to this game. And he even kind of notes that uh, the developers, like, you know, when it was, the game was coming out, their first thing that they wanted to, uh, to highlight to people is this is an RPG. And, and, and that I think is where a lot of the struggle came, came from me because it plays like a third person shooter. It is a third person shooter and all of the things that that would entail. The problem with that ultimately is that um, you've got to do certain things in an RPG. Think Diablo, that are very, very hard to square with the environment of the um, you know of of the game world. So you know we joked about the you know the the mythic Uber hoodie that would you know you could dump like four thousand rounds from your rifle into and it still wouldn't kill the bad guy. That kind of stuff, and and he kind of addresses that and, and he's very upfront. He's like, look, if if that's if that's too much for you. This game's no matter how how well they've updated it and, and some of the changes they make, it's still probably not going to be that much fun for you. And I'm, I may fall into that camp. I've been toying with giving it another another go, but uh, that's uh, very similar to that. Rainbow Six has, has quietly become an incredibly popular tactical... Probably the best tactical shooter game out on the market right now. Uh, it's definitely... Light years different than when it first came out, um, which is what I, I would almost refer to it as like a beta that was released, and they just said, "Yeah, we're done." It's definitely uh, adjusted over time uh, in terms of you know what that game is. It's you know very very focused. So Ubisoft is really really good with sticking with their properties and, and seeing them th- through. That's why I'm kind of keen to see how uh, like For Honor turns out. So I tried that. I, I was like, I, I really struggled with it. There were some serious balance issues, but it sounds like they're going to address that. And then Ghost Recon Wildlands apparently has gotten a fairly significant set of updates over the last, I think, two months, uh, right before Christmas, where they really tried to up, up the game there. So, I think that's a trend we're seeing in terms of these big games as a service titles. You know, Destiny, Destiny 2 is kind of another one like that. Is they release these big platforms and then they, you know, it takes them, you know, as much as we hate it, and, and we throw rocks at them. It literally takes them about a year to get the game where it should have been, where, where you want the game to be when it first comes out, and then they've got to start adding on to it to keep it alive for another two to three years, you know, before they can pump out whatever the next actual numbered release is, like you know, like you know, Destiny three or whatever. And that is the thing that is most frustrating for a lot of people with these, some of these really super big titles that come out. But the flip side is, I think a lot of these game developers have figured out how their, you know, their live teams are almost as big as their their initial dev teams now, because they know they've got to basically they're keeping these things alive for real, uh, and they're in a continual state of development and upgrade, uh, which I think we're just going to see more of, but. You know, that's a that's kind of what I'm interested in seeing in 2018 believe it or not is like what's what is changing and up, updating on the things we already know and love or you know have kind of been enjoying.
0: Yeah, I mean it's an interesting time for like you said the as we kind of move into the gaming as a service model and I think Destiny Two is obviously a good example. We'll we'll definitely touch on that uh, coming up because there's a like you said a pretty big uh, dev update on that one. But uh, first of all, I did kind of want to cover a few of uh, movie entertainment that sort of stuff. I kind of start the show off with usually um, Zell. You said that they've actually, finally, to my surprise, have started poking at the idea of doing a Black Widow dedicated standalone film. Is that is that correct?
1: Yeah, they um they have somebody to uh, write it, which is something. That's a start.
0: I mean, it shows intent at the very least, even if it's not greenlit yet.
1: You know. It's, yeah, I mean, this is trying to do it right. This is they're like someone write this script, and so then they will read the script and decide whether or not they're going to actually make a movie with it. But given that this is a movie that I've been really being like, why haven't they made this for seven or eight years now? Um, it's about time. And I kind of get the you know I, I have to assume that the insane success of Wonder Woman had something to do with this.
3: Yeah, I think you're I think you're spot on. I mean, it's it's probably about it's probably past time. Uh, they probably could have sold that character a little bit more. Now, in, in all fairness, Wonder Woman is a dramatically more iconic you know, kind of historical character than Black Widow. Although the MCU is definitely, you know, the MCU plus ScarJo has done a pretty good job of, you know, bringing her, you know, her sort of name recognition up.
0: Yeah, I think this is one that people have obviously been asking for for quite a while and I think it'll resonate well uh, if they move forward with with whatever script that they actually come up with. I'm I'm excited. I think she's an interesting character that you get hints of the backstory because, again, I'm not a, a comic buff. I don't know all the details of all these characters, but you can definitely tell that in the movies they've kind of hinted at there's a lot more to her than what they they give you you know, up front. So having the chance to see a standalone movie would actually be very very exciting for me so i'm I'm looking forward to it i hope they actually move forward and this thing gets greenlit but at the very least having the intent to at least explore the ideas is obviously interesting so it's good to hear so moving along here <laughs> you kind of mentioned uh, like rebooting things so this one kind of came out of left field do any of you remember a cartoon on the warner brothers warner brothers network called animaniacs yes almost certainly yes what about you babe is that was that too old for you did you ever watch the reruns of that
2: I think it might be a little too old for me.
0: Okay, I mean, the show originally aired in '93 and went to '98. So, to put that in perspective, I was five when it started airing. So, it's it's um it's quite a bit old. You know, I mean, it stopped airing oh.
2: or
0: twenty years ago. So, I mean, it's it's old than you. I think it stopped airing before you were born, babe. Is that about yeah, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. It looks like just about uh, the year I was born. It looks like, uh, okay. but no, I I totally recognize the recognize the character. But I don't know a damn thing about the about the rest of it.
0: Well, I mean, they're they're fairly I- iconic, and people of you'd be hard pressed to find people that don't know like Pinky in the Brain, and that was kind of part of that that whole uh, show there. So, news is is that Hulu has ordered not one but two new seasons of the show to be produced oh, wow. in twenty twenty. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it's interesting to see them go double down on that and go, "We want two new seasons of this, and we're just going to run with it." Um it's a ways off, obviously two years off still. But uh it's like wow. So who's gonna get the two more seasons and they're acquiring the rights to the existing 99 episodes of the original series? So they're gonna have the whole thing. Um it's gonna be a lot of content.
1: Regarding them getting uh two seasons right off the bat, I think that may be something that is um maybe something in streaming that's more like one of the selling points that is coming with the streaming only offers, because one of the things I heard about uh, and is like so there's a uh, there's a new Sabrina the Teenage Witch being made for for I think Netflix. For oh, real? Sure.
3: Yeah. Um, and
1: um so there was a, a thing that was because I guess it's related to Riverdale in some way there was the question was why isn't this on the CW? Um and one of the things that the head of programming or whatever at the CW said was that Netflix was willing to offer them a two-year deal up front and that the CW wouldn't have done that, despite the fact that CW doesn't actually cancel shows and hasn't prematurely canceled a show in like a decade now. Um, So that might be one of those kind of selling points to get, to get you know, shows on board with being on a streaming service is to say, well, you know, we're at least going to, we're going to bankroll you through at least two years. Um, I'm not sure. Well, that's
0: interesting. I hadn't heard that they were making deals like that, but the logic seems to, to make sense to me. But yeah, I mean, if you're not uh, familiar, like Bait, for example, um, go check it out because it was it was a kid's cartoon that was absolutely for adults. <laughs> like a lot of the jokes that they made were of that type where it seemed just like wacky humor. But if you actually look at it from the perspective of an adult... They're usually really, really dirty and pretty funny. Uh, I, I I actually enjoy Animaniacs more now that I'm older than I did when I was a kid. Um, so I, I do suggest you go check it out. I think it, I think it would suit your, your sense of humor, babe. I think you'd think it's great.
1: There's a lot that's, um, that comes off a little dated now, mind you. Like, true. There's true. a lot of the humor, and this is really part of why it's hard for kids to necessarily get it, is they make a lot of jokes about celebrities. Um and these are again celebrities that would be heard of in the news 20 years ago not today. So, you know, it's a kids cartoon that would make a lot of jokes about the Clintons, which I guess are back in the news now. Actually, but, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so it, there's a lot of caricatures and stuff like that and and A significant number of uh, jokes that have a secondary, uh, far less child appropriate meaning that is immediately followed with the line, Good night, everybody. Absolutely fantastic show. um, And I am looking forward to this. Like, you know, like if there's something to get me to subscribe to Hulu, I'm like, Well, it's got a Marvel TV show. So does everybody else. This will probably get me to subscribe.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But like I said, this is this is dated for 2020, so we're we're talking years off here. But the the contract has been signed. This is as far as we know a for sure done thing. So in two years, you can enjoy uh, Animaniacs' new season. But uh, like I said, it, it's actually you have to make it to crack open your history books or your 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 deep memory to, to kind of get some of the references. But the show is is very quite funny even for adults. So I do suggest you check it out if you haven't uh, already been acquainted with it in the past. So speaking of dated shows, uh, bait, you wanna tell us about uh Jean Claude Van Johnson?
2: Yeah, dude, so um I actually had this on my radar, um because Jean Claude Van Damme is a fantastic actor. I mean, how can you not like him? Um and so when I saw that I saw that they Amazon was doing a um a series with him, it, it kinda it kinda grabbed my attention. Um and the and the whole premise of the show, right, is that Jean Claude Van Damme is is retired, right? He's no longer Jean Claude Van Damme. He's just like washed up actor. Um, and he decides, and he he takes this is this persona of Jean Claude Van Johnson. Um, and so he decides he wants to get back into it. So he gets a script for a movie, and then it just goes from there. And the show, like, I I think it was apparent in the trailer, the show was like. It does not take itself seriously. It knows it's a comedy, it's an action comedy, and it like makes you brutally aware of that. If you couldn't get, uh, if you couldn't get that idea just by watching the first couple of minutes, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, and the first season is only like, I think it's like six six episodes. Six episodes. Yeah, they're like it's either like six minute episodes or like six hour episodes. I mean, it's at the most, it's like a six hour uh, series. So, I mean, if you've got an afternoon and, you know, you want to laugh, dude, turn on Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Absolutely would recommend that show.
0: I think I just like the idea of a washed-up action actor playing himself as a washed-out action yeah. actor <laughs> to boost his career. Except yes. in the world, it's all real and it's, it's yeah, absolutely dude. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, dude, and
2: there's constantly, like, making jokes that kind of like, oh my god, you're Jean-Claude Van Damme uh there's a running gag about how um what is it, it time cop is essentially looper with jean Claude Van Damme or how looper is time cop with uh <laughs> with Bruce Willis I think is the is the actual one. It, it's absolutely brilliant writing
0: yeah, we, uh, I actually, I had seen it and just, I was like, yeah, eh, I mean, maybe, but then Lily was watching it on the TV and I just kind of caught it the corner of my eye. I'm like, oh yeah, I heard about that. And we started watching a couple episodes and um, the first few were absolutely hilarious. I think it started getting a little weird around episode five or so. I think that's when we kind of decided to, to call it quits and go get cool. dinner or something. Um, but at the very least, the, the, the beginning was hilarious. I, I rather enjoyed it. So, you know, if you want to <laughs> look at a blast from the past as a washed out actor, it, it's it's pretty funny.
1: See, I, I actually didn't enjoy it. Um, I saw the pilot, um, but uh, I, I wanted to mention something that just related um, because I think I can safely, slightly connect this now that it's out and it, you know, it won't violate anything. There's a really neat thing I recommend signing people sign up for if they're not. It's called Amazon Preview, um, and it is uh, when you sign up, they will. Uh, give you anything from like a plot summary of something they're thinking about making to showing you some marketing materials for a, a thing that they're making, or, um, they will actually give you, uh, have you watch like pilot episodes for TV shows that Amazon prime video is making. And depending on the time commitment of what they're asking you, they will give you varying amounts of Amazon credit for doing it. Interesting. So you're <laughs> like, uh, What's it a focus testing, basically? Yeah, yeah. So they have, okay. and and of course, everything they show you is under NDA. Um, but uh, you know, you get kind of, you get to see some some of the stuff you end up seeing uh, a little ahead of time, uh, and you end up getting paid to do it. So it's it's kind of a, a neat thing that you can sign up for. Um, and that's Amazon Preview, and I think it's AmazonPreview.com. Yes, I'm looking at now.
0: Oh, cool! I have to check that out because that'd be. That'd be kind of interesting to see for some of the stuff I like to watch. That's pretty cool.
1: I mean, now that being said, they don't, you don't get to pick what you get to watch. They will right, send you, right. they will send you, you know, things. And sometimes I'm like, I would much, you know, and sometimes it's like a survey about like, you know, how out of three movie posters for a given show, which one's better and why. Um, And so sometimes, you know, and I've, I've had shows that I've watched for it that I'm like, I, I didn't enjoy this, but you know, they they pay you to to watch TV and tell you tell them what you think of it. So
0: about how much are you are you making for say like an hour worth of effort from this?
1: I don't know if that's covered. <laughs> um, oh okay, fair
0: enough. No, fair enough. I, I don't want you to violate anything. I'm just curious. I,
1: it's not it's not like significant. You're not you're not making a job of this. It, right, it's yeah. and and I maybe see something from it a couple you know a handful of times a year. Um, It's not a super active thing, but it is pretty neat. Okay. I did not
0: know about that. I'll have to check that out. That sounds pretty interesting. And that's available to anyone? You don't have to have, like, Prime or anything? No.
1: I'm I'm rarely ever subscribed to Prime. It's not tied to Prime at all.
0: Cool. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. Okay. So, I think we're good to move on to some gaming-related stuff now. So, we'll we'll go into uh, Zell's VR Corner because he is the one for all the high-end VR uh, topics. And HTC Vive Pro has been announced. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, so um, the Vive Pro is basically the Vive with kind of the benefits of the like they they did the premium audio head strap where they added the headphones and they made a strap that was a little bit more comfortable to wear. Um, it's kind of got that by default built in. Uh, it obviously has higher, uh, slightly higher resolution screens. It's still technically, I think. I think technically it's below 4K still, um, but better better resolution screens, so there should be less of a screen door effect. And then the other thing that they did was they switched from having one camera to having two cameras on it, which is much more like um, uh, all the Windows Mixed Reality uh, VR headsets have two cameras so that they can do um, – they actually don't use beacons. They use the two cameras out of the front, and so my guess is that they might be adding that cam- those cameras so that they can also uh, play games through the mixed reality platform. Um, but uh, they have not said pricing on this yet. But uh, basically, it's just you know a hardware refresh, and they did say that they are going to have a headset only version available for purchase. So you don't so like. If you already have one, you have the beacons and the controllers and everything else, and you just want the headset with the higher resolution screen, they're going to sell that. They haven't said how much it is. Um, Given how much I use the Vive I have, I can't fathom I'll do it unless it's really cheap, which it won't be. Um, They do actually have updated parts outside of that. Um, The beacons, I guess, are the new beacons work over a longer range, Um, but... I appreciate that they're trying to do somewhat of a intercompatible part ecosystem where you don't have to replace everything. The new headset will work with the old beacons or the new beacons. And um, I think the new beacons will probably work with the old headset as well. Um, so mostly all cross-compatible, backwards-compatible stuff. Um, the other big thing is that there was a third-party company that made a wireless add-on uh, last year. And this year, HTC will release their own wireless conversion where you take the tether cable away and you hook up a box on your computer and a box on the headset with a battery. Um, That I'm pretty excited about. It'll work with either headset as well. Um, And that I might go for because I feel like a lot of the configuration frustration I deal with is mostly having to wire the whole thing up. And I think if if, if that was gone, I think I might use it more.
0: I get to see the marketing push now where it's like, hey, guys, remember when you spend $1,000 on a VR headset with very few games to actually play on and it sits in a box because it's a pain in the ass to set up? Now you can do it all over again with the new HTC Vive Pro. Yeah,
1: um, but, uh, you know, the interesting thing is, though, is that HTC is pushing a headset that is, you know, on the premium tier of things that's going to be wireless, whereas Oculus's new wireless headset that they announced a couple months ago is more like a cell phone. Grade headset, so we have
0: enough of those already,
1: right? And and so I think there's a certain point that I I think HTC may be putting itself out here in a category of its own. You know when uh the mixed reality stuff is targeting the affordable range, the three hundred dollar headsets. Um, you know the Oculus wireless ones, much lower power. Vive is still heading on this no compromises, best we can do direction, and you know it's going to cost a lot of money, I'm sure. Um, I mean, my guess on where they're going to price the Vive Pro is, I, I think the Pro moniker kind of gives it away that they're going to probably keep selling the original Vive at the same time um, because they are so compatible. Anyways, the Vive has sunk down and costs a lot. Um, you can get it usually under $500 now, well under, I think, um, and usually with some of the things that like I bought separately later built in. Um, I suspect they'll keep the lower price point for the existing Vive and then sell the Vive Pro at the original $799 price point. If, if I was to take a guess, that would be that would be what I would think is going to happen there. Um, so yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it kind of again it goes to show where you kind of have to figure out when it is a value for you to jump in the pool because, like you said, I, I imagine they'll keep selling the original one at the lower price point, which is significantly less than what it would have cost at launch the pro is going to be in a similar boat where it's going to be, it's probably about 800 bucks. I'm guessing, you know, that's going to be the new base model and then it's going to eventually drop over time. And, you know, they seem like, if you look at like the way the consoles do it, like Sony had, you know, the PS4 came out 400 bucks and then it dropped and they released the pro for 400 bucks and, you know, that'll drop and then it'll go to five or whatever. I think that that's kind of the market we're going to see now. You're going to have these half generations that are compatible with previous generation stuff. Um, at the same price point at launch, but you're just gonna have to decide for yourself when do you want. Is it worth waiting, or you want to be an early adopter? How long is it worth for you to jump in the pool, or are you okay with paying for that upgrade? Because you know it gets pricey with with these these expensive peripherals. But you know, for some people with a lot of disposable income, that could be worth it. So I'm always curious to see these come out, and I think that as long as the headsets keep getting cheaper, you'll start to see this VR market take off a little bit more. But, you know, we'll have to see. So speaking of the VR market and things not taking off as fast as they probably should have, CCP Games is kind of known for being one of the forerunners in producing, you know, full games for VR. I think Eve Valkyrie was kind of their big marquee title, and then that was followed by Project Spark, or rather just Spark itself which was kind of a, meant to be more of a exercise. You can get out in the room with your, your motion controllers and, and kind of play a sporting event game. So, as we've covered in the last few weeks, uh, CCP has undergone quite a bit of restructuring within the company, and that resulted in a lot of layoffs of people. They sold a couple studios, and one of those studios was CCP's uh, Newcastle studio, which is located in the UK. And that actually recently got sold to Sumo Digital, which is a company that's been uh, partnering with CCP for some other projects like Project Nova. So Sumo Digital purchased the studio that was working on Valkyrie, and I
1: think they were working on Spark? I'm not sure. Uh, no, Maybe. Spark was Atlanta. Oh, that's
0: right, that's right, Atlanta. And Atlanta's gone, as far as I know.
1: Yeah, that's that's just closed, done, gone.
0: Right. So people who played these games were a little concerned, like, what's going on? Did you sell the IP as well? And it seems like there was recently some movement on the official Valkyrie and Spark forms kind of outlining, uh, I think it was CCP Red Cape, I think he's the community guy, um, who came out and said, uh, hey, here's what's going on with the game. So they have not sold the IP. CCP still owns the rights to those IPs. So they still own Valkyrie. They still own Spark. Those were not sold with the studio. They still are owned by uh, CCP proper. However, both of those games are—I think the—the the term they used is maintenance mode, where
1: support and maintenance phase. Yeah. yeah.
0: So if you're familiar with the game Dust Five One Four, these games basically got you know, five, One Ford, where there's no more planned content for these games. It's going to be entirely just, we're going to keep the servers running, we'll answer tickets, we'll help with technical issues, but what you see is what you're going to get, and we have no intention of expanding these games any further from what they currently are, which I think is kind of in line with what we were thinking was going to happen with these two titles.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's only so much, like, you need a bigger team to develop a game, and then after a certain point, you know, you're just going to keep it running for a long time. I don't think that's unusual. Um, it, you know, I, I, I held some hope, I talked about it last week, that, you know, maybe because Sumo was also involved in, you know, Nova development, that they might still be involved in Valkyrie patching or something like that. that, that might continue to be theirs even if through a contract arrangement. Um, but it sounds like that's definitely not the case here that they're they're completely just saying we no longer have Valkyrie developers
0: Yeah, and I think this goes back to kind of what we discussed uh, about a month ago I think when this all came out about the restructuring that they were quickly realizing that you can sell a game for VR decently well to people who purchase the headsets I know that Valkyrie was packaged with a lot of pre-order bonuses for for You know the, the PS uh, VR and the Vive and that sort of thing and I think CCB probably made a lot of money on those exclusivity deals, you know, when they came out for things like Gun Jack, Gun Jack 2, Valkyrie, um, kind of a, you know, that's where they made a lot of their money. But they quickly realized that if you don't have a constant flow of new players buying headsets, it's difficult to bring in enough money to maintain ongoing, expansive development of VR titles. And that's why you usually see VR games being kind of small, gimmicky mini-games, because in most cases it's really only fiscally reasonable to produce a small game, have a fixed cost, that's what it is, ship it. It's difficult to have as ongoing, where you you effectively have to have kind of a free-to-play model, where you're bringing in new players all the time to help fuel the fire, so to speak. And I think with VR not taking off as fast as they needed it to, they kind of cut their losses with this one and that's probably why they're going into this very low-cost maintenance like uh, there's i think there's some microtransactions in those games i think at least in valkyrie there is for cosmetics and that sort of thing so that'll probably keep things running at the very least but i don't think it's going to be enough to justify dedicating like an actual development team for content production yeah i
3: think you're i I don't think any of that's going to change until you get a like a real powerhouse developer with some name cachet to to the wider public audience and let's be realistic we know CCP very very well but in the grand scheme of things they're they're fairly they're a known but fairly niche you know kind of producer of games they they really produce one game eve online and and i think to date every other thing that they've touched is is pretty much turned to ashes so the uh, until you get like an Activision, an EA, a Bungie, you know, a Bethesda, or so, you know, something like that that offers a very significant, um, you know, dare I say the word, triple A game, you know, that till, till you get somebody that offers that that makes people want to buy a console to play it. The real deal is like Valkyrie was not going to make anybody really buy a console to play it or buy the gear to play it because. It nobody knew who the hell they who who the hell CCP is or what what Valkyrie is, um, but I so I, I think I think you're spot on with that. But it just I, I think I think they're they're getting it closer and closer to to, to kind of where it could be ultimately for for what are, for what it's worth. I think CCP really actually probably cut a lot of trail for a lot of other people, perhaps in the future, on what you can do with VR games. And if you've ever played Valkyrie, you know, with VR on uh, it, it's pretty, it's well done. You know, it, it is a very, it's fairly vanilla, you know I mean? It's a, it's a fighter pilot game, but there's a lot of, it's extremely well done. I mean, there's not a lot of big problems with it. Beautiful game.
1: And uh, I, that's, that's, I think an important point there is I think that Valkyrie and probably Spark, I don't have really a lot of experience with the release version of Spark yet. Cause I still don't set up my vibe um but they're i i think they're both like decently balanced games that they're they're not super complicated they don't have a ton of un you know unfulfilled promises i i think the biggest reason that dust getting its updates cut off was that it was so very clearly not complete as a as a game um i think these two games i would argue are are completely developed, are, are solid, and I think that, as they are, could continue to to run for a very long time.
0: Yeah, and I think Jay's spot on that. If you have some big name produce a title that is a, as they usually call a console seller, um, like Breath of the Wild sold Switches, you know, that's just... there. There's no doubt about it. People bought a, a Nintendo Switch to play Breath of the Wild. I think you'll start to see that's when things will start to really kind of latch on and take off. And, and and I think as the price of the headsets come down, like, for example, I bought my brother's PSVR for 200 bucks uh, and granted that didn't include the motion controllers because he already had them, but still that price point is half of what it started as. I think that you'll see the possibility of producing a, you know, headset seller game, uh, start to crop up more as those price points come down, because they're not going to take the risk that most big name developers do. They're very risk adverse. They're not going to take the kind of risk that CCP took. And I think CCP got away with it because they kind of were they had the market to themselves. And they were able to say, listen, we're going to produce this scheme and you're going to sell it with your your headset and the the manufacturer. Yeah, sure. Cool. Let's do it. Uh, now things are a little bit different, and I think that you're going to have to make sure you can guarantee a proper market share of people who own those headsets before you get a company like Activision, like Blizzard, that sort of thing, to produce a VR-specific headset. But it will happen eventually. My and
1: CCP, I, I don't know how much of a huge risk it was for them. They had investors come in specifically to fund their VR efforts, right, right. and then they also had um, you know prearranged deals with – Oculus and HTC and and uh, Samsung and and Google actually for they did four different VR titles with four different exclusive arrangements with VR headsets. I'm sure they made their money back and ended up okay from that. CCP has lots of problems. I don't think these were actually them. I think they did, but I think they would have no matter what. You have to scale back once those game those projects are done.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't have the exact financials in front of me for the recent report on on this, but I am fairly confident that they made money on these VR endeavors, but I think they also saw a trend Wind, if we keep going as we're going, we're going to start losing money, and that's when you go, we're pulling the plug, and I think that's exactly what they did, and you know, it, it, they've even said we'll we'll rejoin the market in three, four, five years. You know, but I think they're just waiting for things to kind of get up to the speed they needed at to produce the kinds of games that they want to make. Because uh, for the time being, you're going to kind of get a lot of what you currently see, which are kind of smaller. You know, I don't want to say gimmicky titles, but just kind of they're more of a, a cool experience rather than a full fledged ongoing gaming experience. So. It'll be interesting to see, and I think CCP will probably stay away from VR for quite a while. And I think that this very clear line of we're going to maintenance and support only is a, yeah, like, we're we're done for now. You know, I hope you like the game, but that's, that's what it's going to be moving forward. So we'll check back with them in a few years and see if they're poking at it again. But in the meantime, it'll be interesting to watch the VR market and see where it kind of evolves and if any other big names um, or bigger names, rather, Decided to put their their uh, the name in the hat, so it'll be cool to see.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's at some point. Um, I, I I think until somebody not named CCP like leads the way, we're, we're you're kind of going to be where you're at now. I mean, I thought I I, I kind of get the feel that that we are. I was not a big, I didn't think we're going to have this massive breakthrough, like when the VR stuff really started pushing probably 18 months ago, 24 months ago, but it's definitely the technology has changed a lot to the point where a lot of things are, are much, much, uh, much more in people's grasp until they'll get the price point down. They'll sharpen the technology a little bit. I think there's, there's some things that they can do. uh, And, and really the simple fact is not every game will work in VR. You've got to, find certain types of games that blend really well into that style of um, basically the way you you intake that that stimulus you know you you've got to find something that works pretty well that can mass market um, yeah i i know that there's been uh there's been some interesting mods out there with things like skyrim to make them you know vr compatible things like that I think if if you found a game that was a little bit more slower paced and and probably visually stunning, I mean, if you could take you know like I said a first person view of Breath of the Wild or something like Skyrim if it was built from the ground up to be in a VR world, you you probably are close on the right track. I don't think FPS games in a, in VR, I, I think we're a ways off from that just because the way humans process information, it's it's it would be tough for a you know, a significant minority of the population to, like, actually kind of get into that without, like, getting sick. I mean, that being said, that that was a little bit overblown, too, because I've, I've actually been in more or less FPS-style uh, visual stimulus before with uh, different VR headsets like Oculus Dev Kits and things like that. And it, it it's not bad, but then again, I'm, I'm also used to processing information in that manner as well. So uh, I don't know. I'll be interested to see what they do with it going down the road.
0: Yeah, it'll be certainly interesting. We'll of course continue to cover it. I know that uh, Zell has obviously has his five. my brother has his PSVR, and we've got a few things we want to try out. So we'll we'll keep bringing you uh, interesting things at the very least uh, that we can talk about.
1: So, um, this whole Battlegrounds Battle Royale mode thing that people seem yeah. to be obsessed with these days. I, I, yeah. I don't get it. I tried a little bit of Fortnite's Battle Royale mode, and it seemed like a lot of fairly slow paced play quickly followed by like the 10 That's seconds in which you, you die. die yeah <laughs> yeah i i don't know where the appeal is but anyways everybody's doing it there was Everybody. there was there was pubg and then uh fortnite made battle royale and uh paladins which you may know from being a complete clone of overwatch that came out like a week after overwatch um paladins is also introducing uh battlegrounds Um, And they are calling it Battlegrounds as as a game mode for uh, Paladins. So this is 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 a thing now. This is a thing now. Like, the thing is, PUBG is wildly popular. But apparent, like, what they did clearly is not super, super hard for people to copy. Because everybody is. I mean,
0: okay. So for Fortnite, it kind of made sense. Because they kind of had this looting mechanic already. It's obviously a shooter. And it features big open worlds. Okay, I, I could see that that comparison, but now I'm thinking like if you're not familiar with paladins, like like Zell said, it's it's like Overwatch, it's very similar to Overwatch. Um, and to be fair, actually, uh, Paladins has been obviously watching Overwatch's marketing lately because they're starting to do a lot of Overwatch style things, and it's actually looked really good. Uh, but that aside, I, I don't see how a hero based class shooter is going to translate very well into a battleground style game,
1: but that's like, their selling point. Is like you know, Fortnite's was we took PUBG and we added the ability to build a build forts, and then and then Paladins is we took PUBG and made it with heroes.
0: I just um, the way I'm just I'm because I'm, I'm fairly familiar with with Paladins. I'm like I just don't see how that's gonna work out in terms of balancing. Like I'm gonna absolutely give it a shot because it sounds weird as hell. I don't think I'm gonna like it, but it's it's just weird. I, I just don't you know, it's it's like you said, everyone's gonna get a battlegrounds mode now for doesn't matter what kind of game it is, as long as you can, you know, shoot, stab, or kick some other dude, we're gonna stick a hundred of you on a map and see how it goes.
1: Uh, I mean, it's only a matter of time until the big companies get in on this. This is gonna be, you know, Every every battlefield and Call of Duty title is going to have to have this mode, you know, starting next year. I was about to say it takes them a little longer to get there. Well, I I was
2: about to say I I wouldn't be surprised if we saw um, because I know Call of Duty is due out this year, like it always is. Um, I I don't know about Battlefield. I would not be surprised if we saw the next iteration of Call of Duty have something similar, if not on a smaller scale. I don't know. Typically, uh, Call of Duty won't do these. Uh, what are they like? A hundred fucking cat? What are they like? A hundred man? Uh, it's a hundred people
0: typically.
2: Okay, yeah. Call of Duty. I don't think I've, I don't think Call of Duty would ever do a hundred people on one thing. but They might do.
1: I don't think that's a that's a technical limitation though. I think um, Call of Duty prefers small that's just small team sizes thing? for the game mode. Yeah, it's, no, it's just I mean, their game design
0: because mag was a game that came out on ps3 and that had 256 players in one battle so it's hey, it uh,
3: was glorious
0: it was it was yeah, Mag right. is still i always reference it constantly ad nauseum, but it was one of the best fps that I've ever played
3: I, I i am to this day still waiting for somebody to, to step up and take the challenge to to build a game like that on a current gen console
0: uh. I'd be all over it. <laughs> but I think I think it does speak that people like the idea of large scale battles. It's just it, it might be a battle royale, it might be team based, but I think the idea of we're gonna stick a hundred of you on a map, and people like that idea of, you know, extremely open sandbox play. Cause I mean, I think a lot of the the success of Fortnite Battle Royale and PUBG is that no match is ever gonna be remotely similar to another one you've played because there's so many variables and so many different people that you're not gonna ever have an experience that's even close to being the same as another one you've had. It's gonna be always crazy and interesting, and that's why it has so much staying power. Because you, you the, the game mode itself basically writes the content for the developers. They just have to like, hey, here's some cosmetics, and the game just makes money. You know, it's 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 interesting to see how well it's taken off, and you're gonna see more of this moving forward. I think from all kinds of weird angles. I, I don't think Overwatch will do it, because I think they don't need to. They're like, we're fine with doing what we're doing. But for Paladins to kind of step up and be like, yeah, we're a free-to-play game that's also got a Battle Royale game mode, but it's different than the other guys. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll I'll see what you got. You know, Maybe I'll like this one a little bit more than the other ones, but I don't know, man, it's it's crazy.
2: Uh, dude, Overwatch will totally do it. I'm gonna call it.
0: You think?
3: Yeah, sure.
0: Okay, we'll see. We'll see. I think I think Blizzard's extremely confident in their plan of what they're doing, and maybe this is part of it. But I I don't know. I think it would be.
1: I I, I think that Blizzard would have a hard time. Like uh, paladins, I I do believe that they probably got kind of screwed by Overwatch coming out around the same time. I don't think it was intentionally a clone. They came out too close to each other to really be that. But they've never been really ashamed to to take someone else's idea and work with it. I don't think... That's not Blizzard style, though, I don't think. Um, Blizzard would much rather come up with something that is all and beyond their own. One of the things I was musing about with a friend of mine is that, like, everybody else has certain game engines that their games are made in. There's Blizzard may have some internal name for some of its components or even some of, you know, some game engines, but pretty much it's... They homespin everything. Um, And they do it, you know right from the ground up and I, I just don't see them tacking on a game mode that because it's popular for other people
0: yeah that's kind of the, the mindset i have with it is i just I don't see them trying to jump on the bandwagon i mean this is this is a fad you know it, it'll probably do quite well for a while but i mean you're going to see a lot of it pop up and it's a it's a it's a fad and i just don't see blizzard necessarily diving so blatantly headfirst into that they might introduce something that's you know it might be a Sort of like a battle royale, but I just don't see him sticking a hundred dudes on a giant map and calling it a day. I just, I don't think they'll do it. I think it comes with too many implications and it's just not their style. But speaking of source material, uh, and this is obviously, I think, part of kind of an ongoing narrative regarding loot boxes. So PUBG, which is kind of the the, the granddaddy of all these, these battle royale games, they have loot boxes, which are cosmetic only as far as I know, and they are now publishing the loot drops, like the the chances that you're going to get X item from the box. And I think this is kind of similar to the law that was passed recently in China saying that you had to list your chances of what you were going to get out of the box. And PUBG has openly said, you know, this shirt is 16%, this hat is 10%, whatever down the line. Um, And it's, you know, do you guys think that this is in preparation for a potential law that's coming down the line in light of all like the recent
1: loop box well, controversy. PUBG is is isn't that China is where they're really big, isn't it? Mm. Aren't they really big in China? Uh, I, don't,
3: along sure. with a lot of other people, since they've got like four billion. Yeah, yeah. People but uh, I, mean, there.
1: I, I recall this actually being like like Chinese PUBG players being part of Steam's spike in Windows Seven users or something like that.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to look it up here to see if I can search by region on Steam's. Uh... Steam's analytics here. Give me a second.
1: But uh, yeah, so I mean, it's it's definitely there is there's the law there. There's a lot of discussion about it being a law here. Um, I absolutely think that anyone who's disclosing their their loot box percentages right now is is seeing the way the wind's blowing and trying to get you know a head start so they can test. You know, they they said they're testing this this new loot loot crate system um, with these these two types of loot boxes. And I absolutely think this is so that they can see how to tune it for the least player outcry while still being as profitable as they can and also transparent. Um, And so, yeah, it seems like they've got like a loot box that you just open the box and then a loot box that needs keys like the good old fashioned dust strong boxes. Um, And I guess there's and and so the odds here are interesting is, is the... The one you can get for, uh, that you get for free regularly, the rarest item has, like, a 0.01% drop chance, and a similar item in the box you pay for has a 0.16% chance, or 16 times as likely. Um, and that's for, like, a cloth, like, face mask, and they are different, technically. The paid and, and free items are different colors, um, but, uh... You know, the article points out that uh, there are six opportunities to get this loot box for free per week, and there's a 1 in 10,000 chance of the item dropping, so it could take a uh, number of years for you to get a ga- You know this item if you really want it.
0: So uh, according to a website I found it for uh, Statista.com, it looks like 24 of PUBG players are from the United States, 19 are from China, and then in third place, it's Germany at 6%. So you are correct that there is a very large Chinese population playing the game. Not quite as high as the U.S., but it's still almost a fifth of all players are, are Chinese players, which is and like I, pretty
1: significant. Yeah, and so I, this has definitely got to be involved with their China market saying, you're going to have to post these rates, and they're... You know, coming up with a new system so that they don't have to they prob- probably the most terrifying thing for any company would be having to disclose the loot boxes that they're currently selling and how they currently work so they're probably uh, sure. trying to be a little bit different with the new system
0: well I think there was some controversy about them saying initially and I'm not entirely well versed but they were like saying we're not gonna ever do loot boxes and then like six months later they're like yay loot boxes uh, probably because they realized that shit, we can make a ton of money doing this. Uh, So I think that was kind of some already kind of a point of of friction within the community. So they're like you said, they're probably trying to do this in the way that's going to be as transparent and open as possible so they can minimize any additional controversy because currently, you know, shit blowing up for any game with loot boxes right now that's that's
3: so i've got a we haven't actually done a show on this we probably need to but but i'm going to call it right now my game of the year for 2017 was star wars battlefront by ea has nothing to do with the gameplay but it is the most impactful game on gaming in all of 2017 because of exactly what you just said
0: well, and I, I think this ties in pretty well with our next topic because I think a lot of the changes that Bungie is making to Destiny 2 is directly because of the commentary revolving around a loot box system. I, I don't think that the level of controversy that we see regarding Eververse and Destiny 2 would be anything what it is if Star Wars Battlefront 2 had not happened. I think that it is. Yep. very largely directly tied to the controversy from a different game that's causing these changes in Destiny.
3: No, I think I think there's a lot to that, Pokey. I mean, just you know, in general, I would say the the, the biggest domino to fall in 2017 in the gaming world was the the loot box sla- well, really the um, the you know microtransaction slash loot boxes pushed too far, monetization pushed too far by EA. Uh, because traditionally, that had been sort of that sort of thing had been in like the B-level titles or mobile gaming, you know, freemium type stuff. But uh, when it hit something like Star Wars EA Battlefront, you're those are three very large names with a lot of meaning and cachet, kind of in, in the gaming world. So fast forward uh, to Destiny 2, the the game, uh for the first book, probably about you know. Three or four weeks that you play it, there's a ton of stuff to do. Actually, pretty enjoyable. Very different kind of Destiny than Destiny 1, which we've talked about quite a bit on the show. And and effectively, uh, what has happened in the Eververse store, which is kind of their little microtransaction store, there's not a lot of direct buys. There's a lot of you can buy a loot box thing, a la Overwatch. Over, loot boxes in Overwatch, for whatever reason, whatever Voodoo Blizzard doing or whatever, I don't know, but it works real well. Like, you're, you're pretty okay with how the loot boxes tend to work there. They're not, um, you know, they're not offensive in, in the way that they're presented or, or the way that you get things out of them. And you also earn them enough without paying for them that you don't mind. Um, but the other, you know, but the big thing is uh, in Eververse, there's a lot of, they're probably some of their coolest items, particularly in terms of like cosmetics. And, and really collectible items, not, not really gameplay centric items. They're, they've clearly not crossed into the, you know, you got to buy this kind of stuff to, to be competitive in the game, which is really where EA's dramatic problem was. Um, but it, it's a lot of their more high end, uh, well-crafted sort of cosmetics and and collectible items were hidden behind their reverse store. And in these effectively loot boxes called bright engrams. So long story short, um, this had been there'd been a groundswell growing against this system, uh, along with several other very critical core problems in Destiny 2. Not not nothing to do with the mechanics of the game, mind you, but a lot of the design choices. So effectively, you know, the game was less content and less, far less complexity than Destiny 1. And not in a good way. They basically stripped it down to catering to the only the most, you know, like truly the most casual player. And I don't mean that because I'm in an offensive way because I'm I'm generally one of those people. So the, uh, the net effect is there's a very, very long list of things that had been growing and growing and growing that were irritating the community to the point where they basically went into open revolt when the uh, this scene called the dawning came out as a seasonal event, like a wintertime event for, uh, you know, for destiny. Pretty common. They've about the last three years, they'd have it throw snowballs at each other, play ice hockey, you know, and a, but there's a lot of themed gear, like a lot of themed gear, pretty much all cosmetics and things like that. And it was also kind of, uh, highlighted with the uh, tr- uh, Curse of Osiris DLC coming out, things like that. So there is a ton of new stuff that was hitting all at the same time right before Christmas. The majority of it had nothing you could not really receive through activities in the game. It was all through Eververse, aka the loot boxes. So what uh, they the community basically stayed... I mean, it was a, a very, very significant uh, sort of social media and communication revolt that was occurring that um, I haven't seen in a game in a long time, Uh, you know, and particularly for something that was not game breaking, so to speak. It was just like all of these frustrations with Destiny sort of piled on and really the lead of it was the Everest piece. So, uh, you know, the devs went into hiding for about basically four weeks uh, over the Christmas break as well they should. I mean, they, you know, they they did turn out a pretty solid game, you know, it's a really, it's good but it's, it's not, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of core fundamental problems with it. So they, they kind of laid low for about a month, a couple hints of, yeah, we hear you, we hear you. We're going to talk after the first year, we hear you. And there was a big, uh, you know, probably about a week and a half ago, it was like, look, we're, we're putting out a blog post on the 11th. Uh, Just wait with us until then, see what, see what we got. Uh, So that blog post um, detailed a lot of things. and I'll go over some of the big ones uh, here in just a moment. But uh, suffice it to say, if I were going to capture the bluff, like the bottom line up front for that blog, it was, we're going to take the better part of all of 2018 to bring Destiny back to where it was when Destiny 1 ended, and then try to move forward. <laughs> so, yeah, and right. I and I really don't know how else to describe it that way, because they're, they're going, they're, they're they're basically revamping some of their PVP systems, bringing back 6v6 playlists and and uh, you know, keeping the 4v4. They're bringing back several key items from Destiny 1. They're trying to modify how weapons work. They're modifying how different systems in the game work to provide com- you know, complexity and advanced level progression and tinkering, with, you know, how you do mods and all this other stuff. Basically, to cater to the hardcore gamer, aka the, the you know the hobbyist, as that's how Bungie refers to them as, because those are the people that effectively keep keep your game alive, particularly in the games in the service mode. So uh, there there's just a plethora of things that they're going to do, uh, all the way from inventory management to this, that, and the other. But the list probably 75% of the list uh, and we'll be in the show notes. We'll, we'll link the blog to you if you haven't seen it. I would say at least 75% of those things are, it's like basically things that should have been done and present in the game when it launched. And for no apparent reason, anybody can figure out why Why those, why those things weren't in the game. They also like are going to clearly tune Eververse back to move a lot of the loot that was hidden behind Eververse into game-specific activities. Like if you do... Strikes on this world, you get very specific gear. If you do these activities, you get this, you know, a special Sparrow bike or this special ghost shell, things like that. Which, again, probably where it should have been. They're also going to provide more um, direct buy options. So, like, I want to pick what I want to buy, not buy a random chance at it. And the reality is, with a few minor tweaks, when Eververse came out, they could have clearly staved off a lot of these problems. Number one, the Bright Engram loot box system clearly doesn't work very well not in the destiny format. It works okay, but not when you have that much content hidden behind it. And if they just had basically direct buy options for um you know 90% of the things in there, very few people would have beefed about it, frankly. Um and, and I think you would have I think it would have been a, a lot easier to tolerate, but compounded with all the other problems and and frankly they, I think there were some honest and legitimate I mean, when I say honest mistakes, I mean literally like actual mistakes, things they did not understand were happening in terms of bugs with like how XP was being counted, some things like that. That, that looked, in retrospect, really shady uh, because bright engrams are tied to your, your character progression, things like that. And it was all really, all those things were happening about the time where the uh, the EA, you know, the Star Wars Battlefront fiasco was really, really on fire so anything that any other game company was doing was magnified in terms of any negative aspect they had that remotely sounded like monetization was under was basically you got this like you know the fucking you know plus three magnifying of magnifier of ass whipping you know called the ea star wars battlefront effect Um, and that's i think really one of the things that really tuned up bungie quite a bit so they are reworking a lot of things uh, in the short order. They're gonna you know, talk about putting out some masterwork armor. Uh, you know the concept of masterwork armor, much like they did masterwork weapons. It's a little it's a little sketchy. You know, the base perk is that you you get more HP or you know more damage resistance when you're in your in your super. Anything that relates to supers in Destiny, I'm always very skeptical because they all work so differently. So a melee based super like uh, Arkstrider's, you know, Darth Maul, you know, attack. That's great, but if you're vo- if you're playing warlock, all you do is you jump in the air and you throw basically, um, effectively a rocket launcher attack. You know, it's it's a very quick, almost instantaneous zap. So that masterwork armor will mean almost nothing to a warlock versus, you know, a titan or a uh, or a hunter. So I'm not really sure how this thing's going to apply or what it's going to do. Um, that's there's some of the, the the significant things that they're doing in the short order, but th- there, there's a there's a long list. Let me pull it up real quick, and I'll I'll kind of give you guys a quick heads up on it. Apologies, I had shut the window down right before we started actually talking about it. No worries. So, <laughs> um. So Eververse, they're clearly going to be moving a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the content into, like I said, more activity-based things, which is overall a good thing. Now there is a, another event coming up, I think in February called Crimson, uh, Crimson Days, kind of, it's kind of similar to the dawning. It's, it's like a seasonal event. Again, there's going to be uh, a lot of specific gear coming out for it that are, That's kind of timed and seasonal. I think that's one of the pages they're taking away from Blizzard. And they do seasonal stuff really, really well with Blizzard. So you could see like some of these overtones in Destiny that they're kind of pulling some of that out of like their Overwatch kind of skit. Um, But they're definitely going to weight the rewards, the seasonal rewards in terms of activity versus Eververse, which I think is good uh so there's the math in january uh, the end of january there's going to be the masterwork armor system coming out they are reworking some of the raids uh specifically in terms of rewards so that there's a lot of raid specific items trial specific items some activity specific items and gear and loot that you get uh, which I-, I think is going to be a good thing for the game it gives you a reason to do some of these activities uh that you normally would not would not get in uh, February. They've got a more significant update coming out where they're going to come. At, they're going to definitely change how the strikes work, how the nightfall works. They've got a timer, a timer system on the nightfall, which is t- to say the least. It is, I- I'm not going to say it's universally unlike there's, there are some people that like it, but it is a, that is a minority uh, because it's all or nothing. Like, so if you fail the timer, you fail the nightfall. And it really, really drives a lot of negative gameplay activity for a lot of players. Um, So they're going to, I think, move back to more of, again, a Destiny 1 style where there's strike scoring. So you get higher rewards for the faster you complete the strike versus you get nothing when your timer runs out, which can be incredibly frustrating in a nightfall because you you have to to wait a little while to get into nightfall, particularly if you're doing a guided game or something like that. Once you get in the Nightfall, then it is a fairly frantic activity uh, for most gamers, frankly, uh, to to kind of press through that thing. So, in order to kind of make it more accessible to to a wider array of players, making you know taking the timed element of failure out of there, but really linking it to you know the amount of rewards you get, I think it's a really good call. A lot of people called that almost immediately when the game came out. Nightfalls were introduced very you know like first couple of weeks of the game that that, was, that system was eventually going to change. Sure enough, it did. Uh, there's also going to uh, have global like high-score tracking, which is a good thing. You know, That's kind of something they did in D1. Um, they are going to have a very, very significant Mod 2.0 update, a, a big, big update in terms of how mods work on your weapons and your armor. And now, they were fairly broad in what they were saying, but basically they want to make the mods far more impactful on you know your choices for mods have to mean more. They want to make them much more powerful and much more meaningful and they're going to kind of reduce how you know how redundant some of the mods can be. So what I think is going to happen In D1, you had rollable weapons, like, so we could get the same rifle and it would be, you know, fairly significantly different in its behavior based on the roles of perks that you could get, you know, the RNG perks. So I think instead of doing that, they're giving you, they're going to make the mods a little bit more of, more meaningful to give it a kind of customization option. So I think, I think that is something that's, that's pretty, pretty specific and significant in terms of how the game's going to play interested to see how that works out that's probably the most significant thing that's going to be happening uh in february uh for the quick play for like the pvp stuff they're going to i think it looks like they're going to try to adjust that a little bit they're going to increase power ammo acquisition times so you can get your power power ammo a little bit faster and they're trying to speed that game up a little bit um for pc they're going to have text chat in the tower which i think is Again, probably something they should have had the minute that it came out on PC. Um, big complaint is that you get the same exotic like you know, ten times in a row. Like I remember, there's this thing called like a, uh, it's like the Aeon gloves or whatever. They're kind of like class non-specific. You can get them from any of the three classes. I, I swear to God, I got them like five times in one weekend. You know, three of them. I think I got three in a row one time. So I'm not really sure how they had the exotics, but basically, you know, I, I assume some are just more rare than others, maybe. Uh, or they try to put, they wait some based on, uh, hey, this is a new exotic, put it in the game, you know, more often, that kind of thing. So they're going to adjust that a little bit in terms of, y- they will guarantee you that you won't get the same exotic twice in a row. Now think about, this is how bad it is. They have to put in something that guarantees you don't get it twice in a row. That tells you that's happening a whole lot. Uh, it's, you'll still get duplicates, just not consecutively. But I was really hoping they'd be f- much, much more uh, aggressive about how they did that uh, repetition protection, so to speak, uh, because you can get exotics at a fairly good clip if you just do the milestones in the game. Uh, one of the other kind of quality of life things, like when you go to a destination map, you like look up Titan or wherever, and you're trying to find your, your guys, you'll see everybody's green icon wherever they're at on the destination map. Sounds small but you know, it's a good thing. I think it also was a destiny one feature that they're bringing back. So now this is where it gets interesting. So everything else I'm saying after this, so that was the stuff that's basically going to happen between now and the end of of February. So that sounds like a lot. It's, it's kind of a lot, like I said, of all of that, the mods piece is probably the most significant, uh, in spring of 2018, whatever that means. Um, you're going to get, a few other things you're going to get some updates to the crucible in terms of like a ranking system of sorts uh private matches will be back notice i said back not new again you see a trend here that's when the 6v6 playlist comes back they're going to be doing a variety of other tuning on uh on the crucible because they're definitely i think they're absolutely beating the dead horse of desperately trying to figure out how to get a an esports friendly PvP game in what is essentially a PvE game. It's never going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. It's I'm, never gonna I happen. cannot understand why they're going for that. That's not really what their game's forte is basically uh, cooperative PvE gameplay, high end cooperative PvE gameplay, and they do it phenomenally well far better than they do PvP. Uh, so some other things they're going to do is like some significant sandbox passes in terms of you know, weapons and ability passes. W- one of the things I'm, I'm really interested in is what are they going to do with all the exotics? They're apparently going to have a very very significant rework of all of the exotic weapons and armor because that was, again, one of the beefs is that the exotics are, f- are, are very homogenized now. They're not... There's no real impactful gameplay choices that you can make on the exotics like you could in D1. Um, so, and, and they are, uh, you know, exotics in, de- in, in Destiny 1, you know, at, at the height of where that game was, probably right before Rise of Iron, uh, one of their last updates, the, the exotics were bordering on OP, but in a very narrow band. They would basically take f- a fundamental rule of kind of the world or how gameplay works and then break it. Uh, in one very specific way, kind of thing. That was sort of the trend of how their exotics works. Uh, they clearly did not do that in, in Destiny 2. There's literally a handful of exotics that are, um, you know, truly upper tier. Like this is something I must load out on my on my character, kind of thing. Uh, they're going to update a lot of the the different you uh, you know uh, revolving events like their faction rallies and Iron Banner, probably with you know more gear, more themes, you know, more rewards, things like that. Uh, how you get the rewards instead of again an RNG mechanism, which is what it was last time for the faction rally and for the uh, for the Iron Banner, which created a tremendous amount of aggravation in the community. It's more along the lines of if you get if you earn so many tokens or whatever, you can just direct buy. I want this helmet. Boom, you got it. Um, and they're going to continue to work on in-game player player pursuits and uh, like how do you cater to the in-game? Um, how do you equip more emotes? because you can really only equip one of your fancy emotes that you get at the editing one time. Now they're going to have like a little emote wheel, I think is the way it's going to go back to fault space. They desperately need to figure that out. And it's not just more space, but it's how it's organized. They desperately got to figure that one out. Um, and, and that's something that people have been going bananas over for a long time. They're going to be updating uh, uh, clan chat in the PC tech in the PC model. Again, sounds like something they probably should have had when it came out in the first place. Um, hero strikes are going to get some, some, a lot of different changes, including you can select what modifiers you want uh, when you run the hero strike, which then you, you know, obviously the more modifiers you, you select that you want to play for you, you get higher level rewards. Now, Pokey, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's, that was a function that you could uh that you could do like in prison of the elders and stuff like that right In d1 that
0: is, yeah that's correct you could modify the tilty I think there was up to three or four different levels it was right pretty-
3: and, and you and it, and it scaled the rewards pretty well if I, if I remember right so there those are again this again this general theme of how do I bring back things that worked real well in d1 into this game uh, now here here we're going into the next tab fall 2018 quote unquote, or sooner Read that to be before the end of the year. Um, updates to how do you do item collections and records, aka that's almost like vault management. It's like how do you, you know, so item collections are like, you know, when you go in, once you collect a certain thing, like an exotic, some, you know, specifically, even if you get rid of it, once you've collected it, you can go into your item collection and you can, you could purchase it again or you can you can basically, you know, kind of pull it out of, out of thin air at a very, very low power level and then you can effectively, um, you know infuse it with other things and kind of kind of bring it back up to normal like if you you just don't use it or whatever or or like if you hey there's a rifle that you that you for whatever reason got rid of and it was a boo-boo they've buffed it now and you really want you man i really wish i had that thing back you could go into your collections pull it back out and then you just have to infuse it and kind of bring it back up to a, a playable level uh weapon slot and archetype improvements this is a this sounds very simple weapon slot and archetype improvements I think they are going to try to figure out how do they get closer to the D1 style of weapon management because what they have right now is kinetic, energy, and then power weapon, which basically means I have two moderately shitty weapons and one good one that I can't use very much versus Destiny 1 where you had a v- much ro- broader uh, way of utilizing your armory inventory, like what did you want to use and load out versus what you do in destiny like destiny two. And that has been a huge, huge point of contention with the community is that you, again, to, to make the game more homogenous, more vanilla. And frankly, again, slightly more PVP tuned. Um, they went with basically two primary weapons. So I can have a rifle. Then I can have a rifle that shoots blue ammo and it does quote, unquote arc damage, but it's still a blue rifle doing all the same stuff. Um, and that was very, very problematic for a lot of people, particularly for some, certain types of PVE content where you needed certain types of weapons more more than two rifles. Um, you're going to get uh, – so here's one that, that that flipped my head. Shaders and dismantling. So the shader system in D1, it was permanent. Like you collected and found a shader. You could apply it to whatever you, you wanted, and you got that shader. Um,
2: Shaders are skins, sh- correct?
3: Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, so. Now I get to refresh my memory here, Pokey in D one, did the shaders that was like a universal applique on your character or did you do it armor piece by armor piece?
0: It was for your entire set. You could not so
3: Yeah, so the so I do like that you can you can select whatever shader or skin if you you know, like color skin if you will, on each individual armor piece now, but they're consumable. And then inevitably what happens is, like, I, I've got, like, a couple shaders that that are, like, uh, I've got, like, 170 of, there's one, a very, very super common shader you get for playing Crucible, and I've got, like, 170 of them. It takes several seconds to dismantle, you know, a.k.a. delete one one of those shaders, and you very quickly uh, hit your shader cap. There's, it's, like, a cap of 50, and there's so many shaders in the game It you routinely will hit your shader cap and you had shit going to your inbox all the time. So we've been asking like, Hey, can't you just like do a delete all function or something like that? Like you do on everything else um, in the game, just to help you manage these things or make them permanent. You go back again to a D one system. So I think what they're going to do is they're going to have a very significant touch on how shaders work Um, because again, Nobody gives a damn about it because the, the idea was, Hey, well, we'll let you grind for shaders. Think about what I just said, grind the game to get a shader. So you can put it on your gloves, not an ornament or a skin which is what you what you were thinking that changes the physical look of it, but something that just changes it from fucking group blue to green, you know, that kind of thing. Insane. So I think that's going to get a major, major update. Uh, Matchmaking in PvP, you know, solo players getting matched against fire teams, never never works out well for the for the solo player, by the way. But again, they're waiting until the end of the year to do that, basically. Uh, the future of guided games. This is actually one of the things that they did really, I think, pretty well in Destiny, uh, Destiny Two. So for some of the the end game content, like the raids, Nightfalls, things like that, you can go into a guided game where it's basically, hey, I I'm asking for help. It's almost like an LFG, like a looking for game thing. But the idea is that you you volunteer to help guide people through, and there's like a little sort of like be friends contract that you actually have to take and sign before you jump in the game. Um, and the idea is you match a, a less experienced player with more experienced player, players to help them get through that in-game content stick so and enjoy it and actually be exposed to it, which I think is a phenomenal idea. And, and frankly, again, they do cooperative PVE exceptionally well when they choose to do it. They're just trying to choose not to do it a lot right now. Uh, so they're talking about the future of that. I desperately hope they don't change that, but I do wish they would streamline it. The, the fact that the wait times are extremely long tells you there's a lot of, to me, sounds like there's a lot of people using it. Uh, but all that being said, uh, you're really talking about how do I get this game to a point where it should have been when it released and it's going to take a year to do it. That's really what they're saying, which is exactly what they did with destiny one, which you know, for all, you know, well, this is all good stuff from a destiny player community standpoint, and this last two or three days have been taking a lot of notes on this, uh, just checking out a lot of different YouTuber streams, checking a lot of different you know posts in the community. Long story short, they're like, hey, dudes, we'll see you guys in the fall. We're out. There's just too many other games coming out. We're kind of done. Might pop back in every once in a while to check out Iron Banner or some shit like that, but we're effectively done until you have the Destiny 2 version of The Taken King, which was the big game-saving update that came back and changed destiny one and really pushed it to pushed it to where, where, where we think of destiny in our minds, which is kind of what I was uh, laying out to earlier with um, how Ubisoft has very successfully resurrected and really, you know, basically fixed uh, rainbow six uh, and the, the division and, and what they're working on with like for honor and a couple other games. So, until they till they do that i i mean i'm a huge destiny fan i'm a massive destiny world fan i love a lot of what they do i enjoy playing it but i am i'm pretty much going to make this one of these like i'll play it maybe for an hour or two every couple weeks just to kind of keep up on things maybe i mean my son plays a lot he really enjoys it so i'll probably hop on and play with him. but this is not going to be a go-to game for me in the future uh until I see some specific things coming out, like a lot of these changes they discuss happening. So this has now kind of been relegated to one of these things I play episodically over the course of a month. Like literally probably, you know, three to five times over the course of a month. Maybe, maybe if I'm not occupied with something else uh, from something I would normally want to be playing multiple times a you know a week like two three times a week uh, fairly hardcore in-game in-game type stuff you know hitting the raids hitting the nightfalls that kind of thing so I'm gonna wait and see mode and, and you know every time there's a there's an event that comes out you know seasonal event where they have an update come out I'm gonna dip back in the game for for a couple days just to kind of test it out and see where we're at but ultimately I'm not I don't see myself going back to the enthusiast or hobbyist standpoint in this game until pretty deep into 2018 right now. I mean, I I'm kind of curious to see what you guys think. I mean, Pokey, I think you were keeping up on it, uh, but what if there's anything in there that, in terms of the update, that you think that they really missed out on, you know, or or something that you were wishing that they yeah. probably would have addressed?
0: I think just real briefly, I think the way that they're changing how they handle rewards for events is appropriate. I think that the, a lot of the changes I'm seeing in there for the events and and this, you know, that sort of thing, is how I would do it, and I think that'll that'll work out pretty well. But I'm still just not seeing any massive change that's going to really create a compelling endgame unless they really overhaul how you get some unique stuff and give you things you can actually work towards. Because right now it's, you know, we put everything behind Eververse. Eververse, you get bright engrams that you either buy or you just grind experience to get. So the game turns into grind experience to get the new stuff, which is really boring. So I think that if they can... Create interesting content to do that's not behind Eververse. Then I'd probably be more interested. Like I really liked in the base game, like certain exotics were like part of like a world quest, which was yeah. kind of a you
3: yeah. know five. There's six weapon step quests. Or they, had, they had yeah, they yeah. There was chained weapon quests. There's two of them in, in in particular that ultimately you look you got the sturm and the mida. The mida being far more useful. Uh, and, and I think that's the kind of thing that mm-hmm. would make people interested in doing it. I oh, by the way, you can't redo any of those. Which is unfortunate. There, I wish there was a way that you could redo those quests. Uh, you know, that that would be that'd be kind of interesting to do. But I, I don't know. Uh, it's what What are your thoughts on this? I mean, this seems, I mean, this is unfortunately a trend with Bungie because Destiny One followed this exact same model of <laughs> you know great ideas, but rough first year, and then they, it required basically a you know a lightning bolt in, in the forms of you know the Taken King to to bring it back. And it seemed like they learned nothing from the first three years of Destiny.
0: Yeah, I think I might, like you said, kind of hop in for Iron Banner. If there's a cool cosmetic that's, you know, ex- exclusive to that season, I might hop in to get that cosmetic. But I just don't see this game holding my attention in the long term on a regular basis. It's going to be kind of like, ah, oh, I want that cloak. I'm going to go in and play for, you know, five hours and get the cloak. And then I'll probably put the game away because I've got other stuff I want to play chances are it'll eventually get to their first big expansion the you know the taking king of destiny 2 and i'll probably pick it up again and, and play it again kind of hardcore and see you know where the game's at if they've figured their shit out by then but until then i'm just kind of like eh, not really compelled to keep playing in a, in a really serious fashion and this up this this dev blog like i said it fixes some things which i think are really good But it doesn't fix the really big problem, um, at least from what we can tell on paper. So, you know, it's kind of a wait-and-see thing for me. But right now, I'm not entirely enthused about what they're they're working on.
3: Yep, I think that sounds about right. So we're kind of in a wait-and-see mode now.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, So (laughs) it's just like Destiny 1, like you said, and they seem to have forgotten and removed a lot of the knowledge they picked up from the first three years of Destiny 1. Who the hell knows what happened? I you know, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but that's where we're at right now. So we'll have to see if they can relearn what they figured out already and see if they can, you know, put it back in the game. I mean, when they're like, "Yeah, we'll put Rumble back in by the end of the year." I'm like, "So the game mode you already have developed because it was yes. in the last game and it's going to take you 7 to 8 months to Okay, <laughs> whatever, guys. Like, it can't be that hard just to plug it in. I mean, nothing has changed in terms of mechanics. It's just less people now. But whatever, you know. I'm, I'm really not sure what to expect from it, and it's, we'll, we'll see, you know. Okay, so Jay, real quick, God of War. Uh, I have not been following this. I really have not ever played a God of War game. But you didn't mention the beginning Whoa. of the show. say that again.
2: you
3: haven't played yeah, God of War.
0: I, I was more of a Devil May Cry guy. I like the that style more. I haven't okay. really played much of the, the God of War. I, know, I you
3: know. That's that's like some shit I would think bait would say. Oh, dude, I totally play God of War. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I'm just like the, <laughs> the shock, <laughs> kind of like the, the shock value yeah. I have. Like when we say something and you're like, "Oh, I have I have no idea what that is." And, you know, I'm like, "Holy Jesus Christ!" Like that. I normally get that one moment oh, per show from God you. Yeah. So so okay. So this is your time to be Pokey, and this is Pokey's time to be bait. This is amazing. But uh, okay. So Pokey. You 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 need to go play God of War. Go watch <laughs> okay. a lot of YouTube. Just go watch some YouTube. I'll, I'll just go Come
0: watch the YouTube that. gore and we'll be uh,
3: Jesus Christ. Um, so anyway, uh, there there is a big press push on this, which I kind of mentioned earlier in the show. I-, I won't go into a lot of detail about it, but there is a you know a, a ton of different you know stuff out there. There's some great videos uh, where they're interviewing. Uh, you know the the game developers and then kind of the executive producers of, of these you can find like and game, in, game informer uh' they've got some really good video interviews it's the it's their cover story this uh this month uh that game i believe i believe it's coming out i think in march uh of this year i'm trying yes. to pull that up yeah so god of war is a a, a truly an iconic uh iconic game for you know, quite a few people have probably gone back. I don't know when the, fr- when did the first one come out? Bait like eight years ago, um, maybe. Oh God. It, yeah. was
2: it was on at least PS2.
3: Yeah. it's it, Yeah. It was PS2 and they've had, they've had God of War. Yeah. 2005. 2005. They've They're had shit. uh one, two and three, then had like a mobile game and some other, I think another kind of pseudo game out there. So essentially, pre- yeah, Ascension. So it's pretty deep in the franchise. There'd been nothing God of War for several years now, so they they basically brought it back and they have entirely restructured the game. Uh, like predominantly, the game set in like uh, kind of myth, you know, mythological Greece. Uh, that that whole setting, massive. A uh, set of activities going on, and really a hack and slash game with some just really epic sort of quick time cinematic moments and stuff like that in there. Fairly compelling storyline that got better over the course of the game, uh, but a really really iconic uh, console game. You know, going back you know shit over ten years now. So uh, everybody's very familiar with some of the uh, the videos that came out that kind of showed them uh, in a Viking setting. So they've basically sprung the story dramatically uh, forward in terms of time and space Uh, and Kratos kind of the, the uh, protagonist of the game is uh, in an entirely different environment. And the gameplay is absolutely 100% different than the traditional God of war games. Uh, It's definitely a close in a very tight, close in third, third, uh, third person view. Uh, You've got a NPC that is with you the whole time. Now that's your son. it's, a dramatically different game, different setting, very different style of gameplay in terms of the you know like the visuals and the mechanics of how it plays, and is apparently a very very story driven game in this uh, in this iteration. Uh, there's some phenomenal interviews out there with the game designers that did talk a lot about it uh, in terms of like what they were trying to do with uh, with Kratos and kind of the story. Uh, it's that's it's pretty interesting. So. As I kind of said jokingly, to, uh, you know, kind of off air, this ain't your mama's God of War game. I highly recommend you guys, you know, kind of start to put this on your radar, check it out. It looks like uh, there's going to be some pretty unique things going on in it. Uh, again, very very different from the original God from God of Wars one through three. Uh, this one has definitely got my interest peak. The visuals of it look great. Uh, the gameplay footage that we've seen, of it look, looks like it runs very very smooth. Uh, it's kind of all like one long shot there's no breaks in the the visuals so it's kind of a a, a unique but very subtle visual style to the game uh, and kind of Kratos in a mythological Viking setting looks pretty badass um, and it looks like it's gonna be a uh, I, I'm not really sure how to how to call this game in terms of like if you're going to, you know kind of the classic. Well, it's it's sort of a Far Cry meets Skyrim sort you know sort of thing. I'm not really sure how to uh, you know sort of homogenize this into a description yet. Haven't played it yet, obviously, but it looks very intriguing. So, a lot of big press pushouts on this one. Couple big things that they did talk about. Uh, there are some callbacks to the original game, uh, but there are some definite twists in terms of how the game plays and turns in how the game plays. It's a much more intimate game in terms of character development, which you got some of, but that's not really the point of the first first series of games. Uh, and a lot of it is done through the relationship of Kratos and the son. So there's a lot of concerns like, well, how annoying is this little kid going to be? In it? And they w- apparently went to great pains to not make him that way. And uh, a, there, there's a significant amount of the game that is spent in basically character development, dialogue options. And the the thing that popped into my mind was, and, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, I do not think it is going to be a branching system like you had in uh, Mass Effect or something a la Mass Effect, like a Bioware style. But I suspect there's going to be a lot more explaining the why and the relationships of, of the game uh, intermixed with a really, really, you kind of a sharp and crisp combat system, Uh, a very visually, you know, popping kind of combat system as well. So that's what I'm kind of looking for right now, coming out of God of War, but it's kind of interesting. And it's, it's again, it's a trend of games that are coming out right now that have a lot of story why much more tightly, tightly knit in terms of weaving the characters together. And I think that's one of the next big, one of the interviews actually kind of said something I thought was fascinating these two developers are talking about, it's about God of War, but they're saying that they're seeing you kind of like one of the next, you know, the big trends in gaming right now, because these things kind of ebb and flow is a very, very big focus on developing characters, developing story in a far more mature way, much like we've seen with comic books and, and like comic book movies, so to speak there, there was you know, kind of a developmental arc where they started in a very, very accessible way. And then they became much, much more mature over time. And they're seeing that with games and they kind of contributed some of that to, you know, these are both, you know, both the folks that they were interviewing, the the EP and the, the creative director, they're basically my age, like 40, 42, more or less. They've got kids, you know, they, they've, you know, they're in a different place than they were in their early twenties when they first started playing video games and figuring out what a video game was. So their stories tend to be much, much more, uh, much different in terms of how they build them. And they're seeing that as a trend in gaming right now. If For anybody that that doubts that, you can look at any number of, you know, something as simple as uh, Edith Finch, Tacoma, hell, Death Stranding. If you can figure that one out, I'll ship, mail I'll buy you lunch <laughs> wherever you want. Uh, so there's a, there's a push right now to make games, even games that will have like a quote unquote visceral and really... Uh, specific combat style and iconic characters like God of War, making them much more character driven. So that's one of the things I'm really, really interested in looking forward to. Plus I really dig the Viking mythology uh, setting Mm -hmm. very, very into that. So I'll I'll be interested and see what's going on with God of War when it pops out.
2: Well that, you know, going on uh, what you just said about the, the, the setting, it's very unique. Uh, to use the word that you used at the beginning of the show when you were talking about games like Red Dead. Um, and I think I've said this before, I can't think of too many games that that have come out that have been like, you know, set directly in in Norse in, in Norse mythology or, or take um or or, or or take influence from that. Obviously Skyrim um being that, that kind of Nordic, that kind of uh Northern European um aesthetic i guess for lack of a better word um so it re- it will be really interesting i think to see how this how this plays out um and and i feel like i may be reminded of <laughs> of skyrim uh, more than I, I i care to be i think for for something like god of war um i, I did want to make a point though that in everything i've seen surrounding uh, this game the one thing that i have noticed gets constantly brought up is the goddamn camera angle. And everybody's talking about the camera angle of of the new game. And it's kind of annoying me, but it's also really, really interesting. Um, say again?
0: What's wrong with the camera angle?
2: Well, it, nothing's wrong with it. It's just uh, uh, my problem with this. I'm tired of seeing people talk about it because I feel like the point's been overstated. But, uh, essentially, so if you go back to the God War game, the camera was fixed, if my memory serves me correctly. So you yeah, couldn't it move it. Yeah, okay, yeah, you couldn't move it so no no it
3: was it was fixed it was but it was also a very very blown out view it was like a a, you know you were very very far away from the character and that was predominantly to highlight uh you hit his weapons were were, you know cut out there jay he do he had these two chain blades that would do like 50 different combinations or whatever Mm -hmm. but it was blown out the view was really pulled back so they could highlight like his his basically his, his combat style his weapon moves
2: yeah, and, and the bosses too, I think, because some of those bosses yeah, in, in those games are
3: fucking ginormous. I, I mean, literally, some of the fights mm-hmm. are like Shadow of the Colossus style. Yeah,
2: but you know, this game, it seems like, and everything I've read and, and seen, even in the uh, the gameplay that they released, um, it's very tight, and uh, it's very yeah, really centered it's on... Yeah, it's definitely a
3: much, much closer-in sort of uh, you know, combat system.
2: And I like that. I like that not only from a a, 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 a combat uh, perspective, um, but I mean even from a storytelling perspective, right? I think it makes games feel like it's more it's more personal, right? That for some reason the the angle or how close the character is, or the camera is to the back of your character at least to me it makes you feel a little bit more for the character I don't know if that's just me and you know how my mind works but it, it's really interesting and I, I think it it's something that uh is welcome at least for me uh for the series instead of having this like bird's eye view I guess of of this character you're playing
3: I uh, you know there there definitely could be something to that uh to be to be honest with you there is a um, you you get to see a lot more of the you know I think a lot of it's because of the interactions they want you to have with uh, with Kratos' son Atreus. I think I think that's a big I think that's a big part of uh, of what they're trying to do because here's an interesting thing. So, so pokey you'll kind of you'll this something that you'll probably like. So Kratos in the first you know like basically the first three God of War movie or movies uh, first three God of War games. He is the protagonist, or well, let me put it this way he is the playable character. He, from a certain point of view, is actually the antagonist of the story, though. It, it, you could easily, without v- much effort at all, have made a game where Kratos is a bad guy, and you'd be like, yep, totally, totally buying that because of one, what you're doing throughout the game, and just who he is. He, he, so saying he's an anti-hero is is kind of accurate there is nothing like in a good or positive heroic sense in terms of kratos he he is a a, an angry very mean person uh so the heroic things he does is in the the classical definition definition of heroic not in the modern definition which equates heroic to good um you know so that is it's interesting so now that being said very very clearly uh, the you know the the, the creative director says up front that they wanted to figure out how do you redeem a character like kratos and they they wanted to use the relationship of his with him and his son to try to pull people into that part of the story world how do you take somebody who was as far gone as kratos and basically redeem him because literally he kills a lot of people and I don't mean like bad people. He just kills people like a ton of them. Uh, I mean, he slaughters gods, all kinds of stuff. The, and he, and in the course of the game, a couple of points, you make these, like you're, you're not making choices. You're just doing the actions that the character needs you to do that. Yeah. I mean, you, you would never do generally on any, in any playthrough of a choice driven game. Cause you're like, Oh God, that's, that's horrible. I would not do that to that little girl or whatever. Like, and I mean that literally. So there, that's what I find fascinating about this game is that they're taking that that very very well known character and progressing him significantly in the story. You know, within, you know, I mean, it is a third person action game. So they're they're you know, taking that story and progressing it through that. So I think that's one of the things I'm really really keen to see
0: yeah i'll have to check out the old games and this one actually really interests me i, I like the Norse setting and i think that the more focus on character and storytelling is going to be really curious and in you know getting the background of where he came from and i think obviously he's kind of had a, a bit of a shift in personality by this point in in the whole franchise it'll be good to kind of see that transition over time um i'm looking forward to it it should be interesting because yeah, this one looks this one interests me a lot more than the other ones did um probably because for the reasons you mentioned that it's more story related so we'll definitely have to hop on that and take a look at it anything else on god of war before we move on to our, our last No, one
3: I, I think that's about it but highly recommend you guys put that on your radar
0: cool sounds good uh one last thing that i wanted to touch on that kind of came out of left field for me but apparently has been kind of rumored about and within the community is that Dark Souls 1, the first Dark Souls game came out on PS3, is getting a remastered edition in uh, this year actually. So this is actually going to be the only game in the Dark Souls trilogy that did not have a version on the PS4. So I'm guessing this is kind of their way of bringing it up to next gen. So the game is going to be on PS4, Xbox One, PC, and actually the Nintendo Switch surprisingly. So. Uh, it's not a remake, it is a remaster, so they're not going to be adding new assets or anything like that. It's mostly just, let's clean up and polish textures, lighting, that sort of thing, uh, fix some glitches, and kind of bring it up to the same standard. And I think there's actually a trilogy pack being sold in Japan for like 450 bucks. It comes with all kinds of crazy stuff. No word on if that's coming to the, uh, the West yet. Um, probably a bit much out of my price point, but I have been wanting to play Dark Souls 1 again. It's been a very, very long time since I've played it. And it gives me a good excuse now that it's being remastered to do it for dungeon crawl. So on May 25th this year, I will be picking up Dark Souls 1 remastered and giving it a shot. I'm very, very excited for that one. The game is, like, if I had to pick, like, like the top 10 best games ever made, and I'm not, this isn't even, like, a hyperbole, this would definitely be in that list. It's just extremely well designed on every level. Um, There's been some improvements to the general systems over time, but at the time it was made, it was just Absolutely you know, superb in its quality, and you can reference it for a lot of things and how well it was done. So Dark Souls Remastered May 25th, 2018, so look forward to it. And just kind of a quick state of what's going on with the Dungeon Crawl series. Uh, we just finished up posting the last episode of Resident Evil 7, as that was the last bit of the DLC. Uh, We have actually recorded our recap episode, kind of our deep dive discussion about it, but I have to put the clips together and kind of assemble it all and get that uploaded. So that'll be coming in the coming week here. Uh, And that will kind of cap off our Resident Evil 7 playthrough with everything that's going to be available for that game. Uh, We've been actively recording near Automata. We've actually gotten through playthrough A, B, and C. Uh, We're going to kind of touch on a lot of the important side quests. There's some side quests which are apparently very story important, but aren't part of the main story. So we're going to be sure to get all of those before we do ending D and E. So now that we have the chapter select, we can kind of uh, target certain side quests, and it'll probably go a little bit quicker instead of just running around trying to find them that you'll be seeing in uh, the gameplay up through the first three playthroughs. Um, Once we finish up with Nier, we're going to be returning to Amnesia and Alien Isolation. We recorded a few episodes of that, but then kind of got involved with Nier and got sucked into it because the game is amazing. But I am looking forward to getting back to Alien and Amnesia because it was pretty good. Livy and I actually recently rewatched the entire Alien franchise. None of the Alien vs. Predator stuff, but like Prometheus Covenant and then the first four Alien films um, back to back. It was kind of interesting to see them again back to back and how bad they get at the end but it was a good refresher for the universe and, and it's kind of good to watch so uh, we're all brushed up on that and once we get back to alien i'm, I'm going to be looking forward to kind of drawing some parallels back to the original series uh, that being said now that once we get the uh, resident evil recap up we're going to take a bit of a break it's kind of hard for me to meet the schedule of getting these two episodes out every week when i'm basically editing them the day that they come out so you probably won't see much from Dungeon Crawl until the 1st of March or whatever the first Monday in March is. Um, that's when we're going to kind of come back. I'm going to take the time to kind of build up a, a backlog of videos so I'm not editing and putting them out, you know, at like the week of. So you won't see us for, uh, for like a month or two, but I'm looking forward to getting those all edited and ready to go. And uh, if time permits, we're going to try to do Senemus Sacrifice. Um, depends on how fast we get through the games we have on our list already. I want to kind of be clear and done in time for Dark Souls when it comes out, so we may or may not do that one. We'll see if time permits, but uh, if we do have a gap between finishing everything and May, we'll probably pick up that one because that one is pretty short, and I have been wanting to give it a shot, so that should be good. As for the free game reviews that we kind of do, we kind of fell off the map for a while there. I've been dealing with a lot of stuff at the beginning of the year here. But I have been playing with Dungeon Defenders 2. It's available on for free on uh, PS4. I don't know if it's available on Xbox or not, but we have been kind of playing that to bide the time until Monster Hunter comes out. So probably next week, once I've had a little more time with it, I'll do a full review on that one. But uh, overall, it's a pretty fun tower defense game, four-person co-op. Uh, I like that style, so it's uh, pretty good. But like I said, we'll give a full review uh, next week, most likely.
2: And then two weeks uh, from today, I will do uh, my review for, uh, I think I'm going to do Zombie, um, which is free on the Xbox, starting on the 16th. Um, and then I'll get that out uh, the week after Pokey's review.
0: Sounds good. All right, thanks, babe. Uh, with that said, I want to go into shoutouts because we're pretty long on time here. So my shout-out is actually going to be uh, to Jay for his contribution to the last episode of our Resident Evil 7 Dungeon Crawl series. So I won't spoil what happens, but there's a point in which the character uh, punches something. And I had a a series of gags, and I I wanted to have a Street Fighter reference um, somewhere in there. I was kind of (laughs) flipping through uh, game recordings, and I didn't really find any I liked. And I remembered, I'm like, wait, 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 I've got the recording of Jay... I think it was like episode like 164 or something like that. And I flipped through our, our biomass website and uh the episode title was actually Shriukan. And I'm like, I know it's in there. So I listen <laughs> to the episode and I find a recording of Jay getting his best impersonation of uh of Shriuken. And it is honest to God better than anything I could find online. Like <laughs> It is the best recording, so um, if you watch episode 23 of the Resident Evil 7 Dungeon Crawl, you will get to hear Jay's voice near the end as, uh, you know, I punch the head off of a couple zombies. It's, it's
3: totally legit.
0: <laughs> yeah, so so make sure you check that out if you want to hear it. It's good stuff. Uh, so that's my shout-out to Jay. Uh, Zell, you're up.
1: I didn't assemble one. I'm sorry. He's a professional. ladies a gentlemen.
0: Professional slacker. All right. Bate, you're up, man.
2: Hey, so um, my shout out uh, primarily this week is going to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, today was the AFC playoffs. Uh, I think it was like a fucking national tape. Obviously, I follow sports um, very well. Uh, so normally, I'm, I don't give a fuck about NFL. Uh, but because the Jaguars are in the playoffs, I am socially obligated as a proud Florida man to root for them whenever they play, so it was a really good game between the Steelers and the, and the Jags. I, I very much enjoyed watching it. So uh, I'd like to give my uh, uh, chant for for the, the county of Duval to Jacksonville Jaguars.
3: All right, sounds good. N.J. Okie okay, Um So I've ac- I've actually got a pretty legit shout out. So I kind of mentioned Ubisoft a couple times. You um, get in. in you know, in the course of this uh, pod, you know, podcast episode, as probably the the best example of how to stay with a game and make it, you know, and make it right, so to speak. They struggle with releasing games, and and frankly, a lot of the games they release, you know, they'll, they're they're big ideas. Uh, they will look good, but they'll be buggy as hell, and there's all kind of these core problems, but their track record is that's what they release but then they absolutely follow through and stay with it in a in a very dogged way until the game turns out to be often in retrospect really really good like quite good uh, you know we've talked about the division that's that has been a, a one of the biggest turns turnarounds I've seen in gaming a long time in terms of the quality of that game uh, Rainbow 6 again um but one of the ones that I think that they probably made some of the most specific changes to is uh, is Ghost Recon Wildland. That was a game I really, really wanted to play. I really wanted to enjoy that game, um, that style, of, that huge open world kind of feel. But they just there was a lot of problems when, when it first came out. So they've they've updated a lot of things in it in terms of item management, how things are done. They've also uh, they've also updated uh, a lot of the the kind of quality of life stuff in the game giving you some different things to do, not just this incredibly uh, generic sort of rinse and repeat you know, missions around this huge, beautiful environment that is somewhat, frankly, almost difficult to navigate around sometimes. Uh, now that the scope of the, the changes weren't from a mechanical standpoint or under the hood standpoint, as big as what they did in, uh, in the division, frankly, which that, that, that was basically almost an, an, an entire gut and rework. But what they did really made that game a lot better. So I've picked it up, played it a couple times. It's much better. But my big shout out is this, this Christmas uh, in December, they had a, a very special event called the predator event to the hunt. And they basically had a, a skin and um, a skin pack that came in and a kit pack that came in and some soundbite stuff that came in that you could, uh, you could purchase in game. That was all from the original predator, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger predator movie. And it is, balls on fun uh, it is that classic asymmetrical game po- gameplay where you and your squad and you can kit them out to look basically just like the you know the commandos in you know the Schwarzenegger's badass commandos in uh, the original predator are hunting the pre you're, you're fighting against the predator phenomenal a lot of fun uh, and it's got some really cool kind of collectible type uh, type visual stuff in there you can make your characters look like any of the um, you need the guys from the original Predator commando squad that shout out to Ubisoft for, for frankly sticking with it, with every game that they released in, in recent, in the recent past, you know, the division for honor ghost recon, wildlands, rainbow six, those, those are four big time marquee games that would fill up any one dev house. The, these guys are, they put them out they know they struggle, but they address those struggles and they are fighting through every single one of those games and making them really, really good. And, and honestly, all of them are worth a look right now for honors, probably the one that they're, they're still in the process of that. That's the one where they are the, the next update update that comes out for honors the one that's supposed to really help, help that one out. But I, I'm very positive or very high on them right now in terms of uh, what Ubisoft has been doing as a game game company. So, Shout-outs to Ubisoft.
0: All right, guys, sounds pretty good. Very lengthy show, but I think we had a lot of big topics to cover, so I do appreciate you guys joining us. And for all of our listeners out there, you know, thanks for tuning in. Um, as always, if you want to be on the show, if you have any topics you want us to discuss or any tidbits of random news that you found, that uh, you think we might miss, do let us know. We're available on uh, biomass.com or biomass.net. Just click on the contact us tab, you can find all of our information. Or if you're in the Dust Veterans Discord, uh, Bait and myself are, are pretty pretty uh, busy in there. So if you uh, see us in there, feel free to throw us a ping and we'll uh, be more than happy to uh, you know, pass that along to the show notes uh, the coming week. So again, thanks for tuning in and uh, hope everyone has a safe night out there. See ya.